Yes, Shopamaniacs, you're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show. I'm Dave at home with the kids. Rupert with me is Chris in the booth choir. How are you, Chris? Good. I am in my little booth. Uh, I don't mind it in wonderful. here. It's my safe space. Um, we have a wonderful guest today, Jerry McGovern. Hey, Jerry. Hello. Hello, uh, Chris. Hello, Dave. Uh, great to be back on. Yeah, thanks. Um, uh, you got a lot going on, Jerry, so we're going to talk about all that stuff. But um, there's a couple things I want to mention at the top of the show. One thing, I think I met Jerry very likely from being at a conference together. And it was probably an event apart because Jerry's a, a, a big figure at that particular conference series, which is, uh, in my opinion, uh, one of the best ones out there, if not the best one out there. And, and you know, they've had some event cancellations recently, like every Every other conference in the world has because, you know, it's just not appropriate right now to get or or the law to be able to get together to do a conference like that. So that's sad to see for the event apart gang and every other conference out there. But of course, they're um, scrambling and doing a great job of figuring out other ways to bring what they value to the world to life. And I see just the other day and yesterday, maybe, although when you listen to this, I know there's a time delay, uh, are doing AEA online now online together so i just wanted to pitch that a little bit um and we'll have a link to it in the show notes that they're that they're they're doing that so high five that's it's cool it's a part of our lives too because you know that's how jerry and i met absolutely and and what a wonderful yeah i totally agree with you chris it's it's one of the best conferences i've ever been at uh we'll talk about yet well i was gonna say i met jerry at an event apart as well and you know you're you're very uh, tall, honest man, Jerry. Uh, <laughs> but but then, boy, howdy! I was not prepared for for the fire and brimstone that you bring uh, <laughs> to, to the stage. Um, and, and I I'm always appreciative. And I, in some ways, I feel like a crazy person because I have seen the Jerry. I I have seen Jerry talk. I believe what Jerry says. And then and then I try to go back and translate it to my. Coworkers like we need these top tasks, and maybe I'll do a bit of an accent. Uh, but we need these top tasks, and then uh, we need to to do this. And and I just I I feel like I fumble in in the uh, relaying of. I the can relate to that a little bit, and and as a matter of fact, I if I ever think of like doing right by the user, somehow a little Jerry's head floats by every time I think of it. Uh, so that's big. And we'll, uh, we'll talk about what we mean about top tasks and stuff. Cause I, you know, but, but Jerry's that's just one of the many things that, that Jerry does recently. Um, also talking about a thing called worldwide waste, which is a book you wrote, Jerry, notably what's related to this right now is Dave and Jerry and I are not, looking at each other and we we do that on on zoom all the time on chop talk show and that's to uh to save bandwidth but jerry is it's, it's also uh saving the world a bit huh? well it is because basically everything in digital costs energy and i did um some calculations about about conferencing um and if you say did an hour with two people um just audio that would be about uh, 36 megabyte. Uh, if you did with, with standard video, it would be about uh, uh, 0.3 of a gigabyte. If you did very high or, or ultra high definition video, it would be about 1.35 uh, gigabyte per hour, you know, of, of um, data created. And all that data 
when it's been stored, it, it requires energy and that energy creates a, an amount of pollution. So essentially, audio versus uh, ultra high definition uh, is, is, um, is 10 times better for the environment. Okay, relatively speaking, it's, you know, driving a car, for sure, not that we're allowed to drive cars much at the moment, is, you know, is much more consuming of energy. But still, you know, th- there are choices we can make. So, you know, I was discussing with some people, and I says, maybe we should have a pattern that where you're running a conference, uh, you know, a meeting or whatever, and for the first three or four minutes, you turn the video on so that people can meet and greet and everything like that. And and um, then then you go to audio unless somebody is presenting or unless there's an important reason. If there is, absolutely do it. But if we can if we can put less stress on the planet and use less energy, um, I think that's that's a positive thing. And then somebody also told me that uh, they started implementing that in their organization. And, and they said people said that they actually felt that they were less stressed. Wow. I've heard of this Zoom fatigue thing. Exactly. Because, you know, if you're constantly feel you're being watched or, you know, so it actually had other benefits. It was stressing. It wasn't stressing the earth as much because it wasn't consuming as much energy, but it wasn't stressing people as much because they didn't feel like they were constantly, you know, on show, so, so to speak. So I think this sort of consciousness that, you know, that everything we do in digital consumes an amount of energy. And the less energy we consume, the better it is for the planet. I really like that. And producing electricity really does take pollution to do it, no matter how it's done. Exactly. Exactly. You're saying it's an order of magnitude, too. Like, between voice is, is 30 megabytes and videos, 300 megabytes. Like there's... Yeah, a standard video. And if it's high, high definition, it's about 1.3 uh, gigabytes. So, so, so there's a significant, yeah, it's more, sorry, I didn't mean 10. It's like 30 or 40 times if it's high definite, it's 10 times if it's just standard video. So it's a significant difference. And, and in some of these things as well, and you find like high definition 4X images and high definition video, a lot of times you can't even see the difference. Yeah. There's the, the returns become less and less after a certain, I'll tell you, even Aside, you know, like this, uh, having double benefit here is so cool. You know, I'll, I'll tell you, a lot of meetings I start with, particularly long ones, the meeting is right there, front and center on my screen. And then as the minutes and, and time ticks by and by and by, I'll move it out of the way a little bit, move it out of the way a little bit more. Maybe then another window starts overlapping it a little bit. And by the end of an hour meeting, I practically have the thing minimized anyway. You might, you might, you might as well have the video turned <laughs> off. Yeah, and that's the terrible thing, isn't it? You know, when we think of that, you know, the book is about waste. It's not saying don't use digital. It's saying how do we eliminate the waste so that we don't walk out of the room with the 72-inch screen on and leave it on for five or six hours. You know, we've become so used to cheap electricity or that, you know, that there was one study that said that something like 20% of U.S. electricity costs came from vampire power, from, you know, things that are plugged in, but, uh, you know, are not being used. So 20%. Yeah, like very serious figures. Wow. Uh, you think of like those, you know, in every startup or whatever, there's a dashboard, it's a high definition TV on the wall with a dedicated computer powering some 
chart and graph that updates every 22 seconds, you know? Um, and I'm just thinking like, well, if that was like an e-ink display or something, it, it would tell you the same information. It wouldn't have the colors, but maybe it could, but like, it would tell you the same information at a fraction of the exactly. ecological cost. And, and, right? and that, I think, I think that consciousness we need, like we've become much more consciousness of our physical footprints, you know, and we, you know, we try and avoid using too much plastic. We try and avoid, you know, there, there's a real rising consciousness, I believe. You know, I certainly sense it in so many places. But once it comes to digital, we seem to just totally, we see, like, like, oh, yeah, it doesn't really have any impact. Like, it's a kind of, yeah, I can use digital as much as I want. Uh, you know, that, that we haven't a kind of psychologically connected that, oh, yeah, my phone is, yeah, it, it uh, the battery lasts a long time. But what, one of the reasons for that is that your phone is a kind of like a dumb terminal. It's the data center that's doing the heavy lifting, you know, so the energy processing, a lot of that is a thousand miles away. It just it just feels like you're not using a lot of energy. Uh, uh, but but you're actually using a lot more energy than you might think you're using. Well, let's dig into this more. The the book again is is worldwide waste. It's at um, jerrymcgovern.com, Jerry with the G, and uh, and 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 you can you can buy it right now, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so and so, what what else is in there? You know, I remember speaking with you a little bit about uh, storage. That's a potential carrier carrier of waste. You know, well. You know, principles of storage, if, if um, basically, if you store something locally, it, you know, on your own computer, on your own hard drive, um, that is up to 3,000 times uh, less energy intensive than if you store in the cloud. And then there, there's all sorts of levels in the cloud. Like there's, there's uh, hot and cool and archival. And the difference between choosing various types of storage in the cloud. See, basically, um, it's oh, it's it's instantaneously accessible. That's the most expensive storage. So I can get it. The, the exact thing I want, I, as soon as I click on it, it's, it's essentially, it's there. It's opening up for me. Versus I have to go into a kind of an archival system and, and find the file and retrieve it. And it takes a bit of while for that. And that file kind of downloads or so. Well, the difference can be 150 uh, times in cost, in, in energy consumptive cost between uh, uh, choosing a cold storage archival option versus a hot storage in instantaneously available option. And when you consider that the vast majority, 90% of data, we never, ever access. <laughs> you know, after three months, it, we never access it again. And the 10% we do access, most of that, only only a fraction of that do we access every day or access really regularly. So, you know, thinking about storage and I was I was talking to this guy who's a, a, real, a data analytics cloud expert and storage expert. And we were talking about the estimates of, of, of the amount of stuff that we're creating. We now we've created more data uh, in the last two years than in all of previous history. Mm. That's wild. So the scale is is hockey sticking, as they call it. Right? Well, it's it's it absolutely it's it, it, it explore. We're now into zettabytes. So a zet, I calculated a zettabyte of data, 
that if you were to print out a zettabyte of data, right, you, uh, and I did count of how many trees that would require, how much print, how much, much paper that would require. Theoretically, if you were to print it out, you would, mm-hmm. you would require about 20 trillion trees. Now, there's only about 3 trillion trees on the planet. So it's just to give you a sense of how much stuff is in a zettabyte. Now, by 2035, they estimate we'll have over 2,000 zettabytes of data. So these are on a map. So I asked this guy, I says, how much, if we were buying storage for that, like if we were buying hard disk store, storage for that, and he calculated that the, the highest storage um, units available, we'd need about 1.7 billion of them. And that that would come out to a cost of about uh, $60 trillion. Now, the US economy is $20 trillion. So so we're on a path of data creation that is not sustainable. Yeah, it's whole economies worth of data generation. Absolutely. And most of it is crap. We never use it. <laughs> and I feel this is where the classic Jerry comes in. Uh, we don't, if you, we don't need it, please get rid of it. Yeah. That's why right. did we create it? Why do we, why do we collect all this stuff? Because we've been kind of trained or oh, just in case you never know, it's easy. Like I remember Chris, you were telling me as well about, you know, the, the systems where, when you do an edit to an image, you, you know, it creates copies and there's copies of this and copies of that. And we're, we're, you know, we're always copying. And you know what the funny thing is that all of this stuff that we're storing in a thousand years, most of it will disappear. Like what we what we have in digital is tremendous capacities to create, but actually long term storage abilities is very, very low because most of the mechanisms for storage um, are not, they don't last. They might last five years, 10 years, but you can go back to Assyrian tablets uh, that were created 3,000 years ago and and you can still read them and they still exist and and they're still readable. I mean, there is no possibility on any planet that digital data on a hard disk on that you own today and your computer will be readable in 3000 years. I I mean, I know universities, that's one of the things they struggle with. <laughs> they wrote a database in the, you know, in the eighties and now they're stuck with it and have to maintain it. And no one, you know, nothing else can read the data except this one program that some college kid wrote in 1980 and or even the yeah i mean 3000 years is a, is a whole nother ball game have you heard of the cobol cowboys i listened to a podcast about them recently cobol is this old programming language but it's not that old you know in the grand scheme of things it's like uh in and already there's like these you know these last few programmers in the world who you have to hire and you know nasa's got to hire them to, to to work on their systems and that that's only a handful of decades let alone exactly yeah my, yeah, my, my uncle's a pro, COBOL programmer and he like works on credit cards is like almost exclusively and it's just wild all that infrastructure is just dangling i don't know and that's a concept of like old, like we've really, now we think old is two years. Oh, my computer's mm-hmm. really old. How, how old is it? It's five <laughs> years old. I mean, you don't say, oh, my child is really old. How old is he? Oh, he's five. Well, that's not really old. <laughs> 
you know? <laughs> like, Better get a new one. Just get yeah, a new, get a new one. Change old. that child. He's five years old. What are you? You still got a five-year-old child? You know? <laughs> you know? Oh. Only in digital, only in digital, do we think two-year-old things are old? Definitely. Uh, you got because you got to get the phone. You got to get the new phone, the faster phone, the the more pixels phone. That's uh, that's what they tell me. I find it so anticlimactic lately when you buy new devices. Anyway, it's like you spin it up and you're like, well, does the same thing as the old one did. Maybe just hold on to the old one for a little longer, you know? Well, that that's another thing, a really important thing to understand as well. In energy consumption, because all en- energy creates pollution. So by any energy has some sort of an, an offside of uh, a pollution effect. Most energy in digital is created in the production of the digital device. So typically in your smartphone, 80% of the energy is consumed in the creation of the smartphone and 20% is consumed in the use of the smartphone. Really? So if you've got a short life cycle, you know, uh, of that, you've got a perfect storm of pollution because most of the pollution was created in, in, in um producing the thing. So if you're changing that thing every two or three years, you've got a real, a a dirty circle of pollution uh, 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 occurring. So a digital thing, you really should be using as much as you can so that it, it kind of has the minimum negative impact on the planet, so to speak. But if you're constantly changing digital things, the digital things that we create, the products, we really should hold on to them as long as we can and get the maximum use out of them because otherwise like there's 10 billion smartphones since 2007 if you see someone driving around in a 1975 ford pinto they're a hero yeah (laughs) yeah and that's that's an interesting thing as well like that in in our world you're only a hero if you've got the latest thing you know i wonder can we change the culture of Somehow that we 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 begin to cherish things that are older rather than constantly chasing new things because new constantly chasing what is new as you said Chris you wonder well how new I mean really is it that different Yeah yeah sometimes it really isn't I mean yeah sure if you jump five versions you might feel it but. Year after year, it doesn't feel all that different. Yet they they want you to do it, though. You know, I'm on the plan. I mean, just you know, full disclosure here. I, I have a I have this Apple plan where I pay monthly for it instead of buying the instead of buying it outright or whatever. And they say every, we'll send you a new phone every year, every single year. You just get a new one automatically. You know, and and the, theoretically, you know, you'd like to feel good that I don't know what do they do with the old one. It's not like they chip it up and throw it in the junk, right? They downcycle it or who knows what well, they Apple do. at least uh, you know at least they, they have a bit of a, a better policy or oh, they definitely have a better policy than than many of the, but but the vast majority of smartphones are not recycled you know or phones in general but that culture is still tremendously wasteful even if they recycle you know there's still an incredible amount of unnecessary energy just to make some Apple shareholders even richer than they are. (laughs) 
This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by X-Team. Gotta check this out. This is so cool. It's, it's literally x-team.com. Love dashes and domain names, of course, by the way. But the idea is that, so let me explain it. You can hire them. They have this tribe of developers, and the, those developers, they'll, you know, parachute in and help your team do stuff. You know, like, gosh, I need some more developer help on this thing. Where do I turn? Go to X team and you hire them to help you build your thing. That's cool, but that's almost not what I'm talking about here. They're also looking for developers to join their team to be one of those developers that goes and helps other people. You know, it's a completely 100% remote company. And so by parachuting, I mean, literally, like figuratively, you know, like you don't actually parachute in, you just help them remotely. Uh, and you help them scale. So if a company's like, oh, we got to scale right now, they're going to reach out to X team and you're going to be one of those developers that goes and helps those companies, which help really awesome companies like Riot Games, who make like League of, Le- League of Legends. Wouldn't that be cool? Uh, Kaplan, Coinbase, uh, uh, Fox Broadcasting, Beachbody, all kinds of, you know, like who knows what you're going to work on, uh, but they have a bunch of cool clients. So chances are you're going to work for multiple of those cool clients. So you you can, um, if you choose, live and work in one of their roaming hacker houses, probably not right at the moment with the pandemic and all, but that's a thing that they have. The, it changes locations monthly. And I don't know. It just gives you a chance to explore the world, explore beautiful locations, take part in their adventures and, you know, share passion of, of coding with uh, the people you live with. Pretty darn cool. Uh, there's all kinds of great benefits too. Like they give you uh, $2,500 a year just to like uh, 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 spend on doing things that you love to be healthy and energized and all that. You know, go to conferences, you know, buy some video games, buy some cool photography equipment. $2,500 of just like bonus bucks to spend on stuff. That's pretty cool. Anyway, X Team seems very cool. Uh, I guess check them out for either reason. Do you need to Get some devs on your team real quick. You know, you hire them to do that. But the important thing is, does that lifestyle sound cool to you? Do you want to be a part of a team that does that? Go do it. Apply. Be a developer like that. Sounds awesome to me. Well, I, 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 anyway, I have the scale thing open because I think this is interesting. We all know what a byte is, right? You type the letter A, that's a byte. You know, you type Dave, that's four bytes. I believe that's how it works. If you put an emoji at the end, it all gets screwed up. But, you know, bytes is generally a character. A thousand times that is a kilobyte. And we still think of one kilobyte as really pretty, pretty small. But that's a lot. You can fit a lot in a kilobyte, you know? It's a thousand bytes. A thousand times that is a megabyte, which is... Just that's a hell of a lot of data these days. You can have deliver a really fine-looking photograph in a megabyte. Hopefully, your images are much smaller than a than a megabyte. But that's a that's a lot of data. And of course, we know the average website is many megabytes. So holy holy crap, what have we done wrong there? <laughs> but that's where we're at. A thousand times that is a gigabyte, which is starting to feel like this middle tier of, of, of size anymore. We used to think of a gigabyte as just just an, an enormous amount of space, but you can, it's hard to even find hard drives anymore that are measured in gigabytes because we've kind of moved on to terabytes, uh, whereas like a terabyte drive or a couple of terabytes might be uh, almost what's expected in a really modern computer, especially for, especially for, for pro-level use of any kind. 
And then a thousand times that is a petabyte, which you don't hear of very often. But cloud storage is often sold at the petabyte level. You know, like, do you need some some big storage? This is, you know, petabyte is what we sell at. And then there's a weird one in between exabyte that's a thousand times that, which, holy crap. And then what Jerry was talking about, zettabyte is a thousand times that, which is when you're talking about the exponential scales like this, that is, we're starting to be talking about as, as the, the amount of data there is in the world. Fascinating. Yeah, it's it's we're going at those phenomenal scales, and you you were saying about you know a typical web page and and uh, the the uh, and the average ones are about four four megabyte now, and I I calculated that if, if we downloaded if those a typical page that's four megabyte was downloaded six hundred thousand times it would create about 10 kg of CO2 uh, pollution, which is roughly what a, a tree uh, absorbs in a year. A reasonably mature tree will absorb about 10, about 10, uh, 10 kg. So, you know, th- that... A website it, is a tree? Well, the, that analogy of looking at, if, if that page is downloaded 600 times, 600,000 times, we'd need to plant one tree to offset the pollution that that has been caused by those those downloads and and we just don't we don't see that and we don't we don't recognize it like i'm i'm doing work at the moment for for who on the coronavirus and 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 uh covid-19 and and uh one thing we found was a huge jump in um mobile usage of the website when the pandemic hit so mm-hmm. you know it, it was like Far more ordinary people started coming, if you know what I mean, the public and or but it was somewhere in the region of about forty five percent, fifty percent mobile. But then when the pandemic hit, it went to seventy percent. And you're thinking, hey, there's you know there's so many people out there looking for stuff that really matters to their lives on maybe not the top end mobile phone, and they can be waiting for a lot of our pages for, for up to 20 seconds for them to fully download. Wowzers. So you're doing work with the WHO to some degree. And so, so is that, is that, do you try to bring some of your top tasks thinking to that world? Yeah. I mean, that we're, we're doing a, a project to try and create a, an information architecture for COVID-19. And we started with a top task to find out, well, what is it that people are really looking for? So, you know, they're looking for stuff about vaccines, about transmission and spread and about, you know, uh, end dates and new outbreaks. And, you know, so we, we went out and did a big exercise with a, a load of contributions from people and, and, and then got a, thousands of people to vote. And so we, we've got this map of, of, you know, what are the top tasks for people and, and and it was interesting one many interesting things but one of the things that we actually found was that because we got people to sort the task then at the next stage that doctors and healthcare workers were sorting them in the same way as individuals and families were so in other words they were grouping because we we always get told no 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 this audience is totally different from this audience and no Patients have a very different way of thinking about stuff than doctors have. We actually found that people, everybody was grouping, say, symptoms and diagnosis together. So we kind of did all this mapping and sorting, et cetera. But we found this tremendous commonality 
of human behavior, that not just were doctors and individuals grouping stuff together, but people from India were thinking basically the same way as people from the United States, people from Ireland were thinking the same, you know, because when you get these type of things like a pandemic, we all were human first. You know, we worry, do I have the symptoms? How do I avoid, avoid infection? You know, it's mm-hmm. the same. Mm-hmm. Did you find that in the cards and the research? We did. That, that, we did. We yeah. found amazing overlap of human behavior. Like we didn't find huge differences. Obviously, like say in New Zealand, where countries would be at different stages in the pandemic. You know, so New Zealand would have had a lot of success and they'd have almost eliminated the virus. So the tasks would change more based on the the cycle of where you're at rather than, you know, that Germans have a different set of ways of looking at, at, at treatment than, you know, we've so we found this underlying commonality of human behavior. Wow. Wow. That's kind of inspiring. It is in a, in a in a way, right? Everybody's worried about the same things. It is. I mean, I mean this this is this is the lesson I've learned. In, I mean, I've been lucky to work in maybe thirty, forty countries, and people are the same everywhere. You know, people are. You know, once you get past the initial how they dress or how they talk or whatever, it's the same. Like you know, I've, I've never had an organization anywhere that said to me, you know, help us become more. Uh, organization centric we're too focused on our customers you know (laughs) (laughs) constant problem well we had uh uh uh, we were talking about cross-cultural design with sonogo on a on a recent episode who um i don't think would disagree but the, the 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 specifics are a little different he was painting some differences across across cultures and and countries and how I don't think that they would disagree about you should do right by the people visiting your site. Absolutely not. But how you do that might differ. Like he was painting differences between, how, you know, the expectations of how something is organized might be different. Yeah, they're subtle. I mean, which can have a, a, a tremendous impact. Uh, but the underlying stuff of the progress through an illness, you know, how do I... You know, the worrying about what do I bring to the hospital? The, the what should I do post-treatment? You know, we discovered in, in treatment, there's three core major cycles. There's pre-treatment. So what do I bring to the hospital? You know, there's during treatment and there's post-treatment. And that everybody goes through that in one way or another. You know, now there may be really important subtleties in in Norway versus Sweden, but the basic pre, during and post happens everywhere because you're a human. You, you have to get your liver treated or your appendix out. You know, the, the, we all get our appendix taken out the same way. You know, there's so much, we have so much more in common than we have that makes us different, but we find the things that make us different and we absolutely blow those up into 10,000 foot balloons, whereas there's so much underlying that we actually share as humans. You know, that's that's what I've discovered. So what has changed? I believe you were saying at one point that through the course of this 
virus sweeping through a particular country that, you know, week one might look like this and users are, you know, they're, they're wanting to know question one a lot more. And then week two, it's totally different. And week three, it's maybe not by week. but Yeah, yeah, maybe. But let's say you go back to the beginning of it. Uh, travel restrictions would be very significant, say, as a task and, and stuff connected with travel. But then when you're locked down for a couple of weeks, you're no longer, you know, uh, so the end date becomes, you know, and, and, and then stuff, say, about mental well-being uh, becomes more prominent as as the lockdown continues. So it's not that it changes radically, but you kind of you've learned how to clean the vegetables or how to, you know, uh, wash your hands or avoid infection. So you've kind of you've learned that sort of stuff uh, in the first couple of weeks or uh, or hopefully you have or most people have. So maybe the avoiding infection tasks are not quite as prominent and you know then it's you know it's it's more you know coming out of you know lockdown and uh, um getting into public transport and whether you should wear a mask so so it's not that things change radically at an underlying level but you know there are different elements in the you know the the life cycle of 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 dealing with the virus where uh, certain things rise to the top and certain things drop a bit it sounds a lot like onboarding or something to me like like we're all going through this coronavirus onboarding yeah yeah 12 month right? coronavirus onboarding <laughs> process and yikes but yeah that i i that hadn't thought about it that way but i think that's uh it's the onboarding from hell <laughs> <laughs> it is. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, it's it's the and first first of the seven gates of hell. You know, is uh, you know, <laughs> and uh, and onwards. Yeah, but it is. Yeah, yeah. There's 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 these understanding, but then there's these underlying structure that if we can achieve, you know, we can pluck out. Oh, the avoiding infection. There's been a new outbreak, so we need to re-educate people about avoiding infection or stuff like that. So, so there's, but there's these underlying structures, or, or things that we can define in advance. But what what I find, and it's the stuff I've found for doing this for twenty five years, is that we don't design websites. Most organizations, we we create immediate quick structures we don't really design like we design a building you know we don't we don't mm -hmm. say oh there's going to be a hundred story building it's going to have this number of elevators going and it's going to have to deal with a hurricane and, and, and power and it's going to we don't we don't do that for web or, or, or for application we go oh what Let, let's get something for now you know so what i find what's cool What's cool? What's cool? Yeah. So a, a lot of people are telling me in, in reactions from government, there's just panic publishing. So it's a kind of, oh, let's get stuff up for now. Oh, we didn't think about avoiding. Oh, why, let's put stuff up for this. So instead of actually standing back and saying, well, what's this whole world here of COVID-19 and how do we create a structure that we can grow into? 
and evolve with rather than, oh, just let's get some symptom information up. Is there other sort of information? I don't know, but we have to get the symptom. We have to get the symptom app done. Yeah, great. We do need symptoms. But if you do the symptom, it says, oh, we don't have uh, stuff about treatment. Let's get some stuff about treatment. Then somebody else says, oh, what about vulnerable groups? Oh, we need some content for that. And that's the way websites get built. What I guess what's your is is that something we just have to accept the kind of panic fire <laughs> reactionary or is there is there some pre plumbing we can do or content strategy what's there Oh I think there is I, I I think I think what it reflects Dave is that we this we we still live in a very immature world of digital we we don't you know, you would never design a building like you design a website. You'd never get it approved. You'd never get planning permission for it. Mm-hmm. Like there's 1.8 billion websites in the world. Like if there was real quality control, there'd be about 100,000. <laughs> yeah, I probably wouldn't have made it too far <laughs> in the old industry if you go to my code pen profile. But um I guess the big question maybe or where this is leading is like, is regulation maybe something we need or is that, is that something you think about? Well, I think we need some sort of, and it'll maybe take another 20 years where we actually take digital design seriously, like people take bridge design or, and I think it's part of the reason why we create so much waste is that we don't design things to last. You know, we don't design with a concept of, hey, if I do this right, this website could be around for 20 years. It might change a bit, you know, but actually the underlying things like I remember the first time I did top tasks was for was for travel and tourism. And that was back around 2001 or whatever, maybe sometime. And the, the core things haven't changed. It was special offers getting here and around around things to do and see, you know, the core we may have different ways of delivering things to do and see, but the core underlying infrastructure, the information architecture, if we plan that properly, would not change over time. Like unless humans change their physiognomy or whatever you call that, there's going to be pre, during and post treatment. It may it may be done differently but we could do this, but we don't want to. 95% of organizations I deal with don't want to do this. No, we got to get the way. We got to get digital. We're, we're, we've kind of got the speed virus. You know, we got, oh, we don't have time to think about this. We don't have time to really do foundational, proper architectural work. And we are building things in some environments that are just as big as skyscrapers, just as complex. And no wonder people can't find stuff, you know, or, or, or find navigation complicated or difficult. I think we don't design stuff for the long term. We don't do deep thinking about digital design. Not in my experience. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by WordPress.com. They've had some big releases 
lately that I think are worth knowing. I bet you already know that WordPress.com is like the hosted already version of WordPress. So it's still WordPress. You're still like using the Gutenberg editor and building out a site and picking a theme and doing all the stuff that you always do in WordPress. Um, but WordPress.com is like you don't have to go out and install the open source software and deal with all that yourself. And the trade-off traditionally has been like it's a little bit more limited. There's not you can't do all the, the you know the, have the infinite control as the open source product you have. And that's changing a bit because now they're offering um, SFTP access right into the site, which is a little bit like like almost like head scratching. Like hmm, really? Like I can just like smoosh in there and just change files and stuff. Yes, you can. You know, there's a handful of limitations but for the most, you know, because like a, a theme isn't, like if you're using like 2020 theme or whatever, it's like a sim link to the, like the hosted version of it. But you could always upload your own version of 2020 and edit those files and then you are, you know what I mean? Uh, and there's a couple of like pre-installed plugins and stuff, but for, you're bringing your own plugins. You're bringing your own theme. You're bringing your own custom code, but you're hosted right on WordPress.com. So like, wow, that's pretty cool. It's available on the business plan. They also have on WordPress.com, and this depends on how it all works, depending on what plan you're on, because there's different tiers of WordPress.com. They have e-commerce. So if you want to sell something, you sell something on there. You've been able to do that for a while, but now they have recurring payments. Let's say you want a membership site. You, you know, you prepare custom meal plans for families in the pandemic. That's awesome. You want to charge some bucks for that on a recurring monthly basis. That's, you can do that right on WordPress.com now. If you have a monthly site, because, you know, I have a friend who's like doing workout videos for people and and has like a, you have to be a member of the site to do that. You know, it unlocks content on the site. You can do that on WordPress.com. You can just have, like you're setting up a donation site for a family or a good cause or something. The donations can be recurring. That's all possible on WordPress.com now. So really cool. Check out that big offerings from them. Immediately, you know, I, I think maybe is it our process and structures there, you know, a lot of us are on a two week sprint cycle. Got to put up the thing in two weeks or else the boss man's upstairs get mad. And then we all, oh, we're all going to hear about it, you know? So do you think some of that culture that we've developed it, it affects our quality? Absolutely. You know, and, and, and even... Dave, when you say the word quality, like what does it mean? Like what does it like? I was interested. I've done a lot of work for Toyota uh, over the last number of years, and we did a top task for them about three years, two thousand and seventeen. And one of the things that came out in the top task was reliability. You know, was that how when you're buying a car, what what really matters to you? What's most important in the decision making process in buying in buying a car? And we did it in 14 countries in, in Europe. And every country, reliability was number one, you know, connected with the reliability of the car. And when we showed the data internally in Toyota, there was a kind of silence and people were shocked. And they says, what? What's, what's, what do you mean? You know, they, 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 yeah, that's strange. And, you know, uh, and they were surprised. And it was like, there was nothing on the website, really on their websites about the reliability of the Toyota cars, even though Toyota is totally based on that whole concept. And it's kind of like they'd forgotten in the digital environment, the essence of what they were in the physical environment. 
But but it started a big conversation in Toyota and they started saying, ah, that's, you know, we seem to be missing something in digital. And then they started asking about what's quality? What, so we know mm. what quality car is. You know, we know what a quality, but what's a quality website? You know, and and wow. then it, it, all sorts of interesting conversations come into account. Well, it, it, what is a quality website? What is it to? Should we stop right there? Like, do you because you know the answer to the end of this story? But I wonder if we should guess. Yeah, yeah exactly. That would be good. <laughs> um, uptime, I guess you know, but that's that's kind of a weird one because I no. guess most websites, are, yeah, but maybe. Um, Speed, accessibility, are those the two obvious? I think performance and accessibility were in my mind. Like, especially when you get into this, like, we're making a building. It's like, well, people of all different abilities have to use the building. Like, (laughs) I think we can all say that's maybe the table stakes, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, that you can use it. (laughs) uh, You know, I think some degree of, design probably matters too. I think like, you know, there's that, like, why do you, I don't, what would be a good example? Like, why do I want to buy a car from Toyota versus like Joe's auto shack, you know, (laughs) or whatever. (laughs) Well, if I have a, if I have a question, I I better be able to find the answer. Is that, so does it not, you mean not, nothing has to do with aesthetics. You mean like the UX of, you know, being, or whatever. Yeah, a little bit of a UX, like, Mm -hmm. or or just like, it looks sturdy. I always look for that. Like, you know, if the footer's broken on the Toyota page, I probably am not thinking this is a radical, uh, (laughs) like, tool i don't know i would think um, it, it, you know that always kind of depends on the type of site you know we've talked about site archetypes before and the, the list is probably a little different depending on the archetype but i do think of like responsibility of what's on the website uh whether it's you know the safety of the people who use it um or their responsibility of the information that's there anyway how do we do jerry Are i think you? you did excellent <laughs> and you hit a lot of the you know and that yeah you know that it's it's up it's available you can you know when you when you put your foot on the accelerator the car should speed up right you know and and it should mm-hmm. go and it should hit 70 miles an hour within 10 seconds or whatever seconds you know if so I when you, unless it's car. a honda civic yeah <laughs> so the, the the kind of equivalent of that is clicking on a link you know, if you because you're putting your foot on the accelerator when you're clicking on that link, and the the faster that page downloads, the faster that car is, the faster that ex, the, the, that's a quality experience. Uh, in you know, but quality is also, and I think Chris, you touched on it, um, answering your question with accurate information that 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 is that is correct. Uh, you know, that, How do you measure that one? That's a tough one to measure. Well, it's a tough one to measure, but it's like, you know, that, that you know, the brake pads, you know, the, the, the car does measure, the brake pads work, except, you know, that, that the thing does what it's supposed to do. So if, if, if you open the door, the door opens. You know, if you, if you put the uh, click uh, to uh, uh, bring down the... Uh, 
the glass, the glass comes down. So th- there's a lot of things, you know, that that you do with a car. But what you often do with a website is, well, what's the tire pressure or, you know, how many mile, miles per gallon does it do? Or, you know, you, you know, you, you, there are informational tasks that you've got. And that's quality. Like quality is I, I went to the website wanting to know um, where the nearest dealer was to me. And it told me. You know, uh, it, yeah, really right quickly now. and really easily. I, uh, and I, I, I didn't have to spend ages uh, doing that. that. That's quality. It is. And isn't, isn't there a continuation of this Toyota story? Didn't they do something drastic? I'm trying to remember what it was. That like they take it as seriously as the assembly line well, almost? Take, well, they're beginning to because uh, they're on a journey. But they said it, it only started in the last... It had been in the back of their heads, but they kind of thought, oh, digital is different. Like it's not... It doesn't obey the same rules. You know, they thought, oh, this is different. But then they thought, no, it's not that different from... You know, it's still the same concepts of, um, so, you know, there's a couple of things that they did. What did, what Toyota is famous for uh, in their philosophy is visualizing problems. So part of their DNA in their culture is how to present problems under and, and make um, managers aware of a production line. Pro- so they spend a lot of time uh, historically, in creating ways to visualize problems and issues with quality, uh, so they said, "How do we? How would we do that in a more in a digital environment?" And wh- one of the ideas they came up with was this this orb, uh, which looks like a UFO. It's about you know a couple of feet in in diameter, and it's hooked up to their metrics, particularly. Uh, their page speed metrics for their 26 countries in, in Europe. And if if they've set these targets that they need to meet in different countries, etc. So if something goes wrong and a site goes down or begins to get slow, the orb begins to change color. And if things go really bad, it starts flashing red like a kind of a, an ambulance or a, or a, a police car, you know, mm. in, in the process. And and they said that has a, dr- a dramatic impact on behavior in the head office. It's a culture thing, right? It's a culture thing, but it's not. It's a kind of a human thing. Like it kind of connects back to what we were talking about at the beginning uh, about the meetings, the online meetings. They said there's a lot of stress in meetings, and one of the reasons there's a lot of stress in online me- meetings is because we're only using a couple of senses. You know, when we're in a physical meeting, we get all this, you know, uh, subliminal data coming to us just by the smell in the room, by the the way people are sitting, by, you know, so we get all this, we pick up the mood of the meeting. But when you strip away all of that stuff, which digital does, we have to constant, one sense, one or two senses has to work far harder. And that stresses people because we're not used to this. So one sense has to do, it's like suddenly we've been made blind and now we have to learn to navigate in a world. So in a way, when we walk into the world of digital, we become blind and deaf 
<laughs> you do know what I mean in in this and we I think we need tools to bring digital into the world that humans live within. And this orb is an mm-hmm. attempt to do that, to kind of bring digital and give it some sensory, visual sensory, other than these little numbers that are going across a dashboard that are hard to a kind of relate to. So I think a, a big challenge in digital and the worldwide waste is as a design, how do we design things that when the earth is hurting, you know, or, or the sites aren't performing, there's some sort of a feedback that creates an empathetic a kind of connection with humans that says, such hey, a great idea. We're using a lot of energy here, you know, and, and you get the sense the room starts getting warmer. Or co- I don't know how we do it. I don't have any answers for this, but I think digital is too alien. We, we need to more mm. humanize it. I don't know. Does that make sense? Well, isn't, isn't, you know, of course, the, the things like this tend to start with, uh, the money, right? Like, how often have you seen a sales floor where they ring a big bell when they make a sale? Or, you know, that's the first thing that people Trader wire Joe's up. does that. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. We sold a high-value account. Why can't the ding, ding, ding be, you know, there'd be 10 different ding, ding, dings or colors or orbs or room heating or whatever when the accessibility tests fail when a metric or when somebody submits a thing that, you know, that they were unhappy with the documentation for this reason, that there's a there's something beyond just like somebody glancing at an email and hitting archive, you know, that becomes a becomes real. That's a wonderful idea. And there's already examples, you know, there's there's ways that we can build that up. You know, it's not like the technology isn't there to do it. It's the culture isn't there. It's to the do cul- it. culture is. And now in Toyota. The, the, the historically they used to have post metrics you know so it, it's the metrics of the thing that you've already created now they're trying to implement metrics before it gets created so if it doesn't meet certain quality standards it do, the page doesn't get published now i know we've been talking about this for years but it never really gets implemented but in toyota they're getting really serious about it but another big area which I think is really a mark of quality, is how do you deal with mistakes? Because you'll you'll always have mistakes. You'll always have variance from quality or stuff. So how how is your organization's capacity to actually respond to when the quality within the environment drops? So for some reason, uh, the site slows or some, some... but he added a new feature and some of the code corrupted. How long does it take? Like they measure that on the production line. You know, the, the how long does it take to fix something? I think that's a, that's a real measure of quality because when the, when the environment diverges from its quality, you know, level, how long does it take you to get back to the level of quality that you have said is acceptable? What's the turnaround time to get back to? That's great too. Stasis. That's harder. You know, stasis. that's extra cultural. Just because, uh, you know, it's one thing to just be aware of the problem, but it's another one to be like, well, how fast did you fix it? You know. <laughs> well, that and now uh, Toyota are implementing pr- processes. And a kind of um, they're mandating times during every week when all the key players must be available uh, 
the, the coders, the programmers, the, you know, so they're trying to design systems and processes that allow them to be responsive and to fix the problem. I heard, uh, or I've been reading about the theory of constraints, which is kind of like an old business book thing uh, from The Goal. Um, uh, Elijah Goldbrat, I think is the name. But um, uh, and, and one interesting thing about it is, you know, in, in capitalism or whatever, you think, oh, everything has to be 100% capacity. Coders have to be coding, pushing out code, or or the machine has to be machining no matter what. Like if it's not machining, it's a waste of time. If somebody's standing around on the floor, oh man, they're wasting my money. Um, but the, this theory of constraints is, is kind of like if they're doing their job, that's fine. Like that's, that's what their job is supposed to do is if they start doing another job and then the other job gets backed up, like you, I guess the TLDR is it's okay to have extra capacity and, and, and I think about that in terms of like workers, like coders or whatever. If if I have my next 600 development tickets planned out, man, I'm, well, I'm stuck. I, I don't have a lot of time to go back and make something better because I the next 600 things are all figured out for, or planned out for me for the rest of my GD life, you know? <laughs> so like, how do, you know, I guess it seems guess. like. Well, again, again, Dave, and I think you taught this straight, but we're, we're touching on core stuff in that. Our whole culture, Western culture, is about creation, not maintenance. You know, yeah. we, we, we have no culture of maintenance. Even the very word creativity, when you think of it, it's about creating. You know, a creative creates. A, a, a support person is not a creative. A service worker mm-hmm. is not a creative. We, we exalt the creatives. We exalt those who create. So there's a whole pressure in in our cultures to create, you know, and and um, that is a you know the maintainers are at the bottom of the organizational hierarchy. The the incremental improvers. I mean, whoever progressed uh, in an organization by incrementally improving uh, a product that their previous the person they replace uh, had actually created. I mean, you you progress by kicking out that product, saying it's shit and and launching your product, you know, and and you're the hero or you're, you know, so there's so much incentivization in our cultures to create stuff. I I think about that quite a bit. I mean, you know, if I was a project or product manager or something with that title, you know, I'm I'm looking for bullet points on my LinkedIn, to be honest, because in two years I'm out of here or I'm going to go. I want to be in the VP suite and and that's what I'm looking for. So whatever, don't really care about this business, but I just want some bullet points for my LinkedIn. And, and I think the whole, you know, in, in our industry rewards that too. It's like, Oh, you had bullet point one and bullet point two. Well, shoot, I'll, I'll pay you more money to come do those bullet points at my bullet. You know, <laughs> you know, like um, it, it's interesting. I think our industry is sort of like, reinforces that culture of like, you know, crushing it, the entrepreneur, the everyone's an Elon Musk. If you try hard, you know, I, I feel Do like you think you can make those bullet points. I reduce the average page load time at CNN.com from four seconds to three seconds or something. You know, does that count? I think that, I think that's a good bullet point, but I don't think it 
sells as much as like really I invented news. <laughs> yeah, or I I launched I launched subsite uh, for um, you know yeah, for COVID-19 CNN COVID nineteen response for CNN. Oh yeah, that would be it. But if I launched a subsite, a feature app or whatever for you know for symptoms, you know of sub sub sub. You know, and there was two hundred other of those apps. But hey, I, I created that that little thing. Oh, you did! Wow. You never get points for making something better. Is that the crux of it here? You never. Well, it yeah. seems to be, Chris. It seems to be. You don't. You, your career. We don't respect those people. Well, let's try to fix that. You know, I just was publishing a little blurb today because I saw somebody had tweeted, there's this, um, I guess they were an agency. I'm not sure what they, what exactly you call them now, but they're called Boku, Bokoop, right? They, uh, they, for two years, they worked w- with different contracts with Firefox and, 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 and Google Chrome to fix one CSS property. The CSS property is called appearance and it um, it has the ability to change what an input looks like. So if you wanted to make an element look like a form element or make a form element not look like a form element, it's a little hard to explain over the radio here. Uh, but you'd use that property and when new things like that arrive, they're often vendor prefixed in CSS and the way that WebKit did it, which is you know the Safari and Chrome of the world and the way that uh, Firefox did it was totally different, which put them at a really sucky impasse of of how to normalize this so that they don't have to be vendor prefix and they work the same across browsers. What a tiny little thing. One CSS property. How hard can this be? Well, it was super hard and it took years of work to do. And now they're completed with it. They're at the end of that journey. And it's like what they really have to toot their own horn to get any credit for this at all. And I'm glad they are, and I'm I'm happy to toot their horn for them because this is amazing. But but you're right; it's not the same as we invented this brand new web technology. Yeah, you draw, launch a new JavaScript framework, you're going to get a lot more bells and whistles than if you fixed a little sub feature of one that's already out there. Yeah, and that is the uh, such crucial work, you know, because it, uh, coming back to. You know, as Dave said, the, the the bullet points on the CV, because, hey, you know, I'm not going to stay around. I'm I'm, I'm two years here. That's I, I'm old. You know, this this thing is old. And and, uh, and you know, there is no overall salute, you know, staying forever or whatever, you know. But but I mean, we don't we don't really design deeply. In, in so much digital is, you know, in, in my, we don't really look and say, yeah, I'm really going to plan this new car. Like people design a car or people design a, you know, um, a bridge or people design, you know, th- that sort of design rarely happens in digital in my experience. And it needs to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a good place to end it. Uh, thank you, Jerry, so much for coming on. I, constant, uh, font of inspiration for me. So I really appreciate that. Um, for those who aren't following you and giving you money, how can they do that? The top task is the the core way I've, I've earned my living over doing those sorts of projects. And um, they'll, they'll find out about that at, at customercarewords.com. Uh, so that's customercarewords.com. Or if they can't find Jerry McGar, if they search for me, 
uh, Jerry McGovern, they'll find a link to that. And, and the book, uh, The Worldwide Waste, is, is, is available on, 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 on the Jerry McGovern website. So Jerry McGovern with a, with, with a G. Um, so that would be ways of, 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 uh, of giving me money <laughs> and look, <laughs> you know, in, in, in the process. So. And uh, when an event apart spins back up, go see Jerry there. Uh, if you can, I recommend it. Um, and thank you, dear. Thanks again, Jerry, for coming on the show. And thank you, dear listener, for uh, downloading this in your podcast or choice. Be sure to start heart favorite up. That's how people find out about the show. Follow us on Twitter at Shop Talk Show for tens of tweets a month. If you hate your job, get a brand new one because people want to hire people like you over at shoptalkshow.com slash jobs. We've got a job opportunity to tell you about here at Chop Talk Show. It's nice to bring you these opportunities. This is a very unique one, perhaps the most unique uh, job opportunity we've ever had here at CodePennant. It's at a company called Leet Code, so L-E-E-T code.com, which is a learning platform for like getting you ready to be prepared for technical interviews. So there's tons and tons of like questions on there and contests and things for you to kind of level your yourself up and get ready for getting a job, which is funny is you might want to do some of it to get this job. <laughs> so you've got to be a front end developer. I mean, that's the, that's the big idea. Of course, you know, you're, you're using stuff like uh, React and Redux, it looks like, and um, that's all standard. You know what you're going to need, HTML and responsive design and using JavaScript and CSS and all that stuff. It's always lo- like looking at the extra bonus points things, which in this case is um, some backend language stuff like Python and Reason and Kotlin and stuff. Interesting. GraphQL is a bonus. That's a bonus for me too. Love that. And WebAssembly. Interesting. I wonder what they're doing with that, you know? What makes this so unique is that it's in Shanghai. It's in China. So Chinese listeners, it's a little rare that we have an opportunity for you, but uh, check this out. And if you are interested in perhaps once all of this global tragedy is over, potentially moving yourself and doing something dramatic with your life, move to Shanghai. Wouldn't that be weird? Um and cool and awesome and an amazing opportunity. So check out Leet Code. Check out their front-end developer 2 position to see if it's for you. And, of course, there's a post to it. You know, you apply through LinkedIn, and there it explains the whole job and, and stuff there. So always nice to have opportunities. And, Chris, you got anything else you'd like to say? Mm, shoptalkshow.com. <laughs>